locks for me, if it locks for you. Yeah, it is a bit loud. Alright, it's the monitors here. Maybe you can lower them. Luke chapter 10, verse 19, our Lord is speaking. We've already touched on this in time He said, You know that give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Our authority over demons is positional. In other words, it is because of what God has done or accomplished on our behalf through Christ. So there is nothing in ourselves, once we're born again, that we can do to gain more authority over demons because of what Jesus has done. So first and foremost, we have authority over demons. Now I would encourage you, if this is the first time you're listening to this series, to go back and listen to everything else that I've taught because that will help you to have a context. But because of time, I want to go straight to it. And I see quite a bit of movement there, the back and different ones. I would really appreciate that. Please stop that. Ashley, if you can help, um, that would really help, especially the subject I'm dealing with. So please, I want you to really pay attention to your So, because of what the Lord has done, we already have authority. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. I want to read this in the New Living Translation because this really outlines for us what our current position is in Christ. He says from verse 1, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You were dead. In other words, you were not connected with God. Even though you were physically alive, you were spiritually dead. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So listen to what he's saying here. Our lives before Christ, we were dead. In other words, we were not in connection with God because of our disobedience and because of our sins. And we used to live in sin. As a born-again believer, we don't live in sin anymore. We might sin from time to time, but we do not live a lifestyle of sin. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. In other words, there was no difference between us and those who do not know Christ. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. Now, this is a very important statement. You see, to obey the devil is not just simply doing wicked things, going to kill people or um, taking what doesn't belong to you or whatever. Obeying the devil in a nutshell is simply doing anything that your flesh dictates to you to do regardless of what God has to say. Satan does not care if you do good moral things as long as positionally you're not connected to God. He doesn't mind what you do with your life if at the end of the day in your heart self that is yourself is on the throne and before we came to Christ all of us did what we thought we wanted but what we didn't realize was there were forces and behind those forces there was the enemy the devil who was controlling the direction of our lives very important point he, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. 
So these are emphatic statements Paul the Apostle is making. Is that anybody who refuses to obey God, actually, the devil is manipulating them without them even realizing it's taking place. All of us, verse 3, used to live that way. All of us used to live that way. What an important statement. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Now, it is important when we're talking about our authority that we get the context right. This is where we were before we are in Christ. Now, here's the point. Many believers still allow themselves to live this way without realizing what they are actually doing to themselves. He says, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. This is the reason why we need to share the gospel. Because the whole world, the scripture says, is under the sway of the wicked one. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us up with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Beloved, the privilege we have because of our union with Christ is immense. In fact, in Ephesians 1, Paul says that we should realize God's riches or the inheritance that God has, has in the fact that we are saved. It's like God has a tremendous prize by saving you and by saving us and bringing us into his kingdom. He sees it as a great inheritance for himself, as a great uh, plunder, as a great riches or something that he places tremendous value on. That's who you are. That's who God sees you to be as a child of God. Every child of God that is united in Christ has a tremendous privilege in Christ. But here's the point I want you to see. Is that the fact that we are united with Christ means that where he is, that's where we are. So wherever Jesus is in the heavenly realms, that's where we are. Look at it again. Look at it, verse 6. He says, for he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 points out specifically where Jesus is seated right now. Again, I read it in the New Living Translation. He says, now he, talking about Jesus, is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. So our Lord Jesus is over every, every, every power, every principality, every um, name that is going to be mentioned, every king, every ruler. He's above them all. That's where he's seated right now. But beloved, because we're united with him, that's where we also are seated with him right now in the heavenly places. Amen. So, so that's the first point. Uh, when we're talking about our authority, it's important to understand our position in Christ. Now, whilst positionally every believer has authority over demons, please help with the children, guys. Not every believer experiences the reality of that authority in their day-to-day -day life. 
And the bottom line reason is due to the legal right they relinquished to the enemy. They relinquished to the enemy. They relinquished to the enemy. So, positionally, we have tremendous authority, the same as Christ has. But the outworking of it day to day often is way below expectations that God has for us because of what we allow the enemy to have access in our lives in. By virtue of what we relinquish, whether ignorantly or not, it gives the enemy the freedom to operate in the manner he's not supposed to operate in the life of a believer. Let's read one example of this. Again, the New Living Translation. I hope you're putting it out that way. Um, I don't see our beautiful screen that we bought the other day. You know, just saying. So I don't know what's up there. It could be a cartoon for all I know. Okay, it's blank. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Unrighteous anger of any kind gives a foothold to the devil. So here's the point. You have all this tremendous legal authority. And then there's a small thing like anger can open the door for the enemy to have a foothold. We'll talk about what that word foothold means in a minute. Another example of how you can give the enemy legal right is in the area of unforgiveness. The area of unforgiveness is a tremendous area, and, you, you know, I touch on this a lot of late, I realize, because I know that a lot of us need a clear revelation of this um, because it really does affect how we are able to do life. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, our Lord teaching us the praises, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then, just to um, reinforce the point, in Matthew 18, he gives the narrative or the parable of the unmerciful servant talks about the servant who owed his master 10,000 talents. And then when he couldn't repay it back, he begged his master to forgive him. But then when he went out and his, his, his fellow servant owed him, I think, 100 or 200 pence, he was like, you're going to pay me everything you owe. And when he couldn't, he made sure that that guy went to prison. So when those who observed it saw what he had done, they were so upset that they reported him to their master. Now, let's look at verse um, 34 and 35. Now, the master rebukes him for being so hard-hearted. And in verse 34 and 35, he says this. And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturous until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father, this is our Lord Jesus speaking. So my heavenly father also would do to each of you will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Now, beloved, a trespass is where somebody knowingly does the wrong thing to you. That's what a trespass is. A trespass is basically you said, don't do this, and then the person does it. There's no way I've got 15 minutes left. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I just started breathing. <laughs> So revise that, please. <laughs> There's no way. 
Okay, I'm under authority. My authority. I'm, I'm not. All right. Yeah, you carry on. We'll see what happens. <laughs> the point I want you to see here is this, is that the person who has not forgive, Jesus says, is handed over to the tor- torturers. Who are these torturers? These are demons. It's not angels who are tormenting people. It's demons. And there are many believers, for whatever reason, they're being tormented. Now, I'm not saying every torment in your life is because you didn't forgive somebody. I'm just saying that to emphasize the point that as a child of God, with all the authority that you have, with all the privilege that you have, you can give the relinquished legal right to the enemy that allows him access into your life without you realizing it. That's the point. So, talking about authority over demons, well, our authority is always linked, and I said this and I keep saying this, but it's always linked to the enforcement of God's kingdom. In other words, you don't exercise authority because you feel like it. You know, I feel like causing it to rain today. I command it to rain in Jesus' name. Uh, I feel like just going into the hospitals and healing everybody. Wouldn't that be nice? But it is linked to the enforcement of God's kingdom and God's purposes. In fact, the binding and loosing ministry of the church should really read like this. Whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. In other words, our authority to bind and loose is directly related to what God has already done. Not just you deciding you want to do something because it's a great idea. And I think for me, this is one of the tragedies of many Christians. Because they lack the knowledge of God's word, the simplicity of God's word and the authority and the revelation of God's simple truths, they tend or we tend to get ourselves into all kinds of unnecessary confusion. But the bottom line is that our authority over demons is primarily linked to the enforcement of God's kingdom. A few scriptures, I won't read it, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, um, we, we touched on that a lot, Luke 1. Luke chapter 10, beg your pardon, 1 and 2, and then from verses 17 to 20. The Luke um, narrative is worth reading. Here, the Lord sends out the 70 to go before him, to go and preach the gospel, basically. And then from verse 17, the 70 return, we, we touched on this at the beginning of this series. He says, the 70 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And then he said to them, he said, they're subject to us, how? In your name. So the demons are subject to believers in the name of Jesus. In other words, as long as you're representing Christ, then you can be sure that the demons will be subject to you. That's the point. But if you're not representing Christ in the context, they're not going to respect what you have to say. It's like, well, I'm, I'm a born-again believer, so move Watch you fornicating. I don't think so. They're going to move. They're going to demonize you more. That's how it works. And then he said to them, <laughs> to them I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, he's already been defeated. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. What a powerful scripture. As we learn about this later on, you're going to have the confidence to know 
that no wizard, no witch, no sorcery, no magic, nothing. There's no power that has power over the child of God who's seeking to please the Lord Jesus. There's no power. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. There's none. There's none, really. It's like, whatever. I mean, that many times people have tried to curse me. I feel sorry for them. I don't even, it's like, don't try it for your own sake. I'm not bothered. You want to curse me? Go ahead. See what happens. But no, don't go ahead for your own sake. No, don't go ahead. No, really, really. Because it's not, I died and my life is in Christ in God. That's our privilege. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and the righteousness of me, says the Lord. There is no divination. There is no enchantment. There's no divination against, there's no enchantment against Israel. No divination against Jacob. I mean, that's, this is us. This is us. This is us. Even Old Testament, even Old Testament, we are tremendous authority. How much more in the new? Seriously. But here's the point. Okay, enough of that. But here's the point. Your authority of the, over demons is great. But he says, don't rejoice on the, um, because of this, that the demons are subject, spirits are subject to you. But rather, rejoice in the reality that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That is, that, your names are written in heaven. That is the, that's the, that's the thing. The salvation we have, that's the prize. The fact that Christ lives in us, that's the prize. So your authority, when we talk about authority over demons and we talk about entry points and all of that stuff, it's all good, it's all right and all of that, but don't be spooked, seriously. You don't even have to understand everything I'm saying, you know. Just believe in Jesus and you're all right, really. Just trust in Jesus and you're all right. But here's another point I want you to see. Mark 16, 15 and 16. This is emphasizing the point that our authority is primarily linked to the enforcement of the kingdom. He said in verse 15, he said, I'm going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And then in verse 19, he says, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, that statement is very important. In other words, He's done what he's supposed to do. Now he's seated in a place of authority. Right hand of God refers, it's a, it's figure, it's symbolic language that emphasizes the point that he's now exercising authority. But how does he exercise authority at the right hand of God? It says, so they went out, 20, they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So the point that is that as we seek to honor God through how we live our lives and make sure that the gospel is being demonstrated through how we live and make sure that we're representing Christ, he will confirm his word through our lives with accompanying signs. All right. So our ability, and I touch on this again, to enforce our authority is in the following order. So Anytime you seek to enforce the authority that you have as a child of God, it must be in this order. Submission to God and resisting the devil. Submission to God and resisting the devil. James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The context of this verse is that it's in relation to how we handle worldliness and our own carnal behavior so that our authority in prayer and our devotion to God is not undermined. Read from verse 1. You see that he's, 
emphasizing a point or he's, he's touching on a point about how they behave towards each other and about the fact that their prayers are not hitting the mark and the fact that God jealously watches over them and he wants them to first and foremost prioritize him as their number one priority so that his grace that is already there can continue to be supplied because he gives more grace, he says in the previous verse. And then he says, on the basis of that, submit yourself to God, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, I touched on this, and I'll emphasize it. It is resist the devil, not resist the enemy. In other words, the devil is the head honcho of that spirit realm. He's like the boss of the bosses. He's the boss of the principalities. So those of you that like that kind of stuff, he's the boss of mama water. You know, um, you know he, he's the boss of the Prince of Venus. He's the boss of the principalities. He's the boss of Beelzebub, of Abaddon, and all the demonic principalities, the chief of the chiefs. He's their boss. So now, here it is. The boss of bosses, the devil, comes to a new Christian and begins to tempt that new Christian for whatever reason. That new Christian, all they know is they love Jesus. Now, this is the greatest principality there is, the boss of bosses, chief, arch principal. He's tempting a Christian, whoever that Christian is. And that Christian, first and foremost, submits themselves to God. So it's like, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. So they submit themselves to God. And then they say, so whatever it is that the devil is offering them, maybe a contract, maybe sign this check, Maybe falsify this document and then your business will break through. Maybe just bow your knee to an effigy. I don't know what it is that you get tempted with. Whatever it is, maybe just sleep with her. She's really nice. Just, just, just do the kiss. Just do the thing. I don't know. I don't know. But it's the devil. Now, it's not some principal. It's not some familiar spirit. This is the devil himself that has come. And that Christian, because he's saying, Lord, I want to please you, says, no, I'm not doing this. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, the word flee there in the Greek is he will flee, he will run away terrified. He will run away terrified from you. So, it is the devil. I used to always read this as the enemy and because I didn't get the revelation. The point there is that by virtue of your submission to God, no principality can overpower you. No, even the devil himself cannot overpower you. Once you submit yourself to God, I said, once you submit yourself to God, you can resist any principality. There is no power. There's no generational power. There's no curse. There is nothing on this earth that has power to overcome your will once you submit yourself to God. There is no power. There's no power. That's how it is. It's just that at times, people, like, like, they like fancy stories. You know, they like, you know, stories about demons and principalities. I mean, when I was young, I read a lot of them. Level 999, level 003, 007, if you're not even careful. All kinds of stuff. And it sounds really great and fantastic, but actually, the Bible says that people looking into things, that just breeds questions. And it's just promoting confusion and more unanswered queries. Ah. Stick to the word. Say to your neighbor, stick to the word. Stick to the word. When it comes to dealing with the enemy, stick 
to the word. Can you say amen? amen? Now, everyone needs deliverance at some point in their life. I'm talking about born-again believers. <laughs> Definitely those in the world for sure, but born-again believers, everyone needs deliverance at some case in life. And deliverance is really, in the context that we're teaching about, is the, is the expulsion of, demo, of a demonic influence to allow freedom for God's plan and purposes to be established. So you have to remove whatever demonic influence is there so that what God wants to do can take place. And deliverance in this context includes freedom in our spirit, soul, and bodies. It includes freedom in our ministries, our jobs, our vocation. It includes freedom in our finance and whatever resource we have at our disposal. It includes freedom in any sphere of authority that we have that the enemy will seek to influence. Now, whilst we do have authority over the enemy and have been given the authority to cast out demons, most believers never really exercise that authority. They never really exercise it intentionally. They never intentionally decide that they are going to deal with whatever demonic interference is taking place in their life. And the other thing is, sometimes because of the way the word um, the demonic influence is interpreted, translated in scripture, people have a kind of a, a wrong concept about the enemy's influence. So often people think of demon possession, uh, as in like in horror films when you see people they, they, when they are, they're demonizing, they're like, your voice changes and the face kind of goes funny. And so it's like, oh dear. <laughs> now I'm not being demonized, I'm just putting it on, guys, you know, <laughs> really. <laughs> but really, um, so people think of demon possession. But in the Bible, even when you see um, demon possessed, it's often have to do with the influence of a demon. Is someone who has a demon or they're being influenced by a demon as opposed to demon possession, which is being owned and being controlled by demons. Now, there are two primary ways in which people can be demonized. And I've already kind of said it already. The first is where they are demon possessed. In other words, they are literally owned and controlled by the devil. Now, the point there is this. The scripture I already read in Ephesians chapter one, verse Ephesians chapter two, verse one to seven, actually tells us that the whole world is demon possessed. If you if you want to be crude, because the whole world is under the sway of the devil. That is so. So I want you to get it out of your mind that demon possession is some horror story kind of situation. Is who owns your heart? That's the bottom line. It's who's controlling your heart. That's what demon possession is about. It's who is governing and pulling the strings on, of your heart and your will. And before we knew Christ, we were governed by our sinful nature, period. Whatever we wanted to do is what we did, period. And that's what demon possession really is. The other form of um, demonization is demon oppression, where there is an influence of the enemy or the demonic in an aspect of a person's life that affects them in, in some way. Now, 
It is impossible. Say impossible. It is impossible for a born-again believer to be demon-possessed or to be possessed by a demonic spirit. In other words, for a spirit to own their will. It is impossible. Contrary to what people think. There was a guy in the Bible who had legion, over 3,000 demons in him. And these demons so tormented him, if you read the narrative carefully, that he would cut himself. Not the demons. He would cut himself in order to deal with the torment that he was going through. He was cutting himself, not the demons. The demons wanted to kill him. They were murderous demons. So the guy, to deal with what he was going through, he would cut himself. And the Bible says no one could hold him in chains because when you hold him in chains, he could break himself free, right? He could break himself free. Now, it's, a, it's a very interesting point. Not the demons were break. He could break himself free because of the demonic influence on his life. However, when those demons left him and went to 3,000 pigs, all the pigs were immediately killed. Why? Because that was the nature of those demons. They wanted to kill the man, but they could not kill the man. So never ever believe any Christian who says, the devil made me do it. Tell them, stop lying. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I, know, I know that we can have situations which are very serious, and we can believe that, no, it really was the devil. No, it was, really was not the devil that made them punch you. They've been wanting to. He says that they were encouraged. Punch them, punch them, punch them. And they said, you know, I just can't help it. I just feel I should punch you. You know, anyway. There is, there is a saying. There was, there was this guy in, in, in Ghana, in a village. And, uh, not village, in the, in the town. He was a bit mad. Sorry if that's not a correct terminology. Yes, you know, we, we were there when we heard it um, in the years back. So, I'm hearing Austin telling my preaching story right now to his wife. So he would say something like, I am going to hit it. I am going to hit it. So when people knew him, when they, they heard him say, I'm going to hit it, they would just kind of move out of the way. So this guy was just walking, and this guy was like, I'm going to hit it. And he came near the guy, whack, slap, pow. Didn't I tell you I was going to hit it? That's what he did. Of course, there were demons there, but he wanted to do it as well. So he's looking for someone. All right. Okay, enough, okay, okay, enough of that. That's a crusty story. But the point is about de being demon, demonized is that at certain levels, all of us have to deal with this. Even the Apostle Paul is an example of someone who was in need of deliverance from the enemy and he sought the Lord about it. Second Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 7 to 9. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of, revela of the revelations, a thorn of the in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. So this was a demonic oppression of some kind. Now we don't know what it was. He referred to it as a thorn in his flesh, but he said it had a demonic origin. He said, lest I, should be, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, I want you to notice that Paul, he asked God three times. And each time, he got no. 
right? The point is, we're not going to use this as an, an example to say, this thing in my life is from God to keep me humble, right? No, please, you are not the Apostle Paul. Paul's case is a rare case and should not be used as an explanation that it is God's will for believers to be demonized. But it demonstrates to us the reality that believers have to, in some way or another, deal with demonic influences operating in their life. The other thing is don't confuse deliverance with the works of the flesh. At times, people confuse their own carnal desires, their own sinful desires as demonic. Look, there are many things in us due to the fall that allows us a propensity contrary to God's will. The works of the flesh are manifest. Galatians 5, 19 to 21. He lists a whole bunch of them. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. These things, and you got sorcery, hatred. You don't need a devil to get you to hate somebody. They just need to do something you don't like, and then you don't like them anymore. Hmm. Jealousies, or really should be translated envies. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, envy, heresies, murders, drunkenness. Drunkenness. You don't need a devil. Once you start drinking and taking certain drugs, you don't need a devil. Your body already has a propensity towards the thing. Some of you like to drink certain things and take certain things, like coffee. You don't need that. It's not the devil. It's just caffeine addiction. That's all. Your body, you know. <laughs> anyway. However, if you engage, I'm not saying drinking coffee is a sin, please. <laughs> I'm definitely not saying that. But if you engage in the works of the flesh long enough, out of a place of rebellion and excess and rebellion against God, and you keep doing it, then you will open the door to demonization in your life. The acts itself, so getting angry offhand or feeling jealous or whatever it is or envy or whatever it is doesn't mean you're going to have a demon. But if you keep doing certain things, keep doing it, keep doing it as a child of God over and over and over and over unrepentant, you will open the door. And also there are practices that are forbidden in scripture. And if you keep doing those practices, it can open the door for the enemy to come in. Next week, we're going to talk about how the enemy comes in, and then we're going to deal with how to deal with whatever the enemy has brought in. All right? Amen. We're going to pray. Um, I have Abigail looking at me very holy. So we're going to pray, and then I'm going to hand back to Abigail. Um, but I want to pray for you as a child of God concerning your authority. Um, just for you to recognize that you have the authority and maybe you've been feeling insecure about your authority in Christ. I just want to pray an affirmation over you. And if that is you, why don't you stand and you're saying, you know, you, you've been feeling insecure about your authority, but now you feel assured and we want us to agree with you in faith. If that's you, why don't you stand quickly and raise your hands to the Lord and we're going to pray. We're just going to ask the Lord to strengthen you in your spirit.
Father, thank you for these precious ones that are standing right now. Lord, we are asking, and those of you online, feel free to pray if you can. Father, we are asking that you will strengthen these ones, even what they have heard, that they will walk in the good of it. They will live in the good of it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you.